Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the food that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. GMO and what you need to know. If you've been following the show, you already know that in this series, we've talked about a broad range of topics in the complex field of genetic engineering, from the nuts and bolts of the science to the historical record to current research in its application to animals and even humans. We've focused on how biotech companies are continuing to tamper with and manipulate the DNA material of food supplies around the world to fit their business model of profit, how they have used their clout to influence governmental agencies and to deceive the public, and how they are creating dependence on their products and forced compliance to use them. There are so many aspects to this issue, so many areas of debate and controversy, and all at different levels of development. It can be overwhelming to take it all in and to make sense of it, difficult to decipher what's currently relevant and what's not. So I decided to do a show on the very latest happenings in the GM biotech industry, Where do the issues stand today, not only in this country, but around the world? And that's what I want to talk about in this show. We've talked about the seed giant, Monsanto, quite a bit in this series already, mainly because they have been the dominating force responsible for essentially shaping the agriculture biotech industry, not to mention their very questionable and aggressive business practices. Well, where are they in the present landscape of the biotech industry? According to the Center for Food Safety, Their genetically modified seeds currently account for over 92% of soybeans, 90% of corn, and 88% of cotton grown in the United States, a virtual monopoly. And as of 2012, Monsanto's market value stands firmly at $42.2 billion, according to Fortune magazine. And they recently announced a 22% increase in earnings to boot. And what are the reasons for this apparent steady success? Well, to begin with, there has been a seemingly routine deregulation of biotech practices, which creates a favorable environment for Monsanto to operate. Take the recent controversy, and it's a big one, behind the Agricultural Appropriations Bill for 2013, a section of which is now being called the Monsanto Protection Act, showing a case-in-point example of Monsanto's cozy relationship with regulators. Now, in 2010, a federal judge spoke out on the USDA for violating environmental law by rushing through approval on Monsanto's genetically engineered Roundup-ready sugar beets. The judge ordered a halt on all planting of the beets until an environmental study was completed. But ignoring the court, the USDA deregulated the beets anyway, claiming that the delay would result in a sugar shortage. 
Well, that's because Monsanto controls 95% of the sugar beet market, making it virtually impossible for farmers to find alternatives. So now, due to the passing of the Monsanto Protection Act, if a court decides that a genetically engineered crop is dangerous to the public or the environment, it can no longer order Monsanto or any other company to stop planting the crops. Instead, the law mandates the Secretary of Agriculture to issue permits and deregulation orders that allow the continued cultivation and commercialization of the crop, even if it is deemed to be causing a public health risk or unleashing genetic contamination. It is unbelievable and absolutely irresponsible. The current Secretary of Agriculture, by the way, is Tom Vilsack, a longtime outspoken supporter of the biotech industry, so it's doubtful he would have a problem issuing those permits for Monsanto. But unfortunately, what this means for the average consumer is more GMOs hitting the market, and it also puts Monsanto in an even more opportune position financially and politically to prevent efforts in GMO labeling, which has been gaining ground, especially since this last year. Now, all of that is bad enough. But another very recent and significant development concerning Monsanto is its new licensing agreement with DuPont. Now, to give you a little background, Monsanto and DuPont had actually been waging war against each other for more than a decade. DuPont had apparently violated a licensing agreement by using one of Monsanto's genetic traits in one of its own soybean seed products. So Monsanto sued DuPont for patent infringement. And then DuPont rightly countersued Monsanto for violation of antitrust laws, you know, the laws put in place to prevent monopolies. Well, the Department of Justice set up an antitrust investigation and quickly dismissed it. Interesting, considering that Monsanto currently controls nearly all corn, soy, and cotton crops in this country. Wouldn't that be considered a monopoly? But now, as it turns out, after years of legal conflict, this month, the two companies agreed to drop the lawsuits against each other and will now share and utilize each other's gene technologies and herbicides. So even though both companies will now benefit from the other's genetic technologies, the arrangement actually works more in favor of Monsanto because they now have access to patents held by DuPont, which in the end up gives them control over a broader array of herbicide-resistant plants, that is, plants that can withstand chemicals other than Monsanto's Roundup. I've mentioned this before, but the main impetus for these biotech chemical corporations is to genetically engineer crops to withstand their chemicals. More profit is made by selling herbicides and insecticides than any other segment in the industry. With this being the case, Monsanto's flagship product, Roundup, has been the most used herbicide in the world and has earned them billions of dollars. But because of its extensive use, weeds are now becoming tolerant to it. It's becoming less effective. See, when GM crops were first introduced, Monsanto argued that patented genes would let farmers cut down on the use of toxic pesticides and herbicides on their crops but as it turns out, the complete opposite is the case. Farmers have had to apply even heavier doses of the chemicals to combat new and more resilient strains of pests. So in an effort to continue its profits, Monsanto has recently genetically engineered new corn and soybean seeds that will withstand the more powerful herbicide, Dicamba. Dicamba is more toxic than Roundup and is considered volatile. This means that it goes to a gaseous state much more easily and can readily travel in dust or moisture clouds to other locations. Dicamba is so toxic that it kills anything it lands on, unless a plant happens to have Monsanto's new patented genes that resist it. 
Dicamba is now scheduled to be approved by the USDA and EPA as early as this year. Have a listen to Andrew Kimbrell, Director of Center for Food Safety, during a talk he gave this year about escalating herbicide applications and Dicamba. Have a listen. Taking the seed from the symbol of life to something that is actually designed for more and more poisons to be poured onto it. And that is what we have with genetic engineering today. 85% of all crops that are grown in this country and around the world are designed to be herbicide tolerant. That means that they can withstand an absolute washing of weed killers or herbicides and not die. Huge for Monsanto and for the other chemical companies, terrible for the rest of us. 115 more million pounds of herbicides are put on our lands today because of GMO crops every year. Every year. Well, what happens to the weeds when all, when all that Roundup is poured on them? What do you think happens to the weeds? They develop resistance. So we now have 30 million acres of weeds you can't kill with Roundup. So they have now, and, and this is already at the USDA, this is already up for approval, dicamba-resistant corn and soy. I don't know how people here know about dicamba, but it makes 2,4-D look like a tinker toy. Dicamba volatilizes. That's a 2,4-D. You know what that means? It means in certain warm or rainy conditions, it comes back up in a cloud, and it can move for miles. So if you have an organic uh, apple orchard over here, cloud comes over, there goes your apples. So Dave Mortensen at Penn State has said, if we do not stop these crops within seven years, there will be 800 million more pounds of 2,4-D of dicamba and Roundup put on our crops every year. That is absolutely unbelievable and incredibly frightening. An estimated 800 million more pounds of toxic chemical herbicides being used within the next seven years. That is truly staggering, isn't it? To put this in perspective, despite the initial claims and advertisements by the biotech industry about GM crops needing less pesticide, it turns out the exact opposite is true. To achieve the same crop yield, farmers have had to increase their usage of pesticide by over 400 million pounds from the time they were introduced in 1996. So let's do the math. 400 million pounds of toxic chemicals sprayed on GM crops over the last 17 years. And now we're going to need more than double that amount over the next six or seven years. And we're going to use more toxic chemicals like 2,4-D and dicamba. You know, this doesn't even really cover the insecticide portion of the equation. Bt corn and cotton crops have an insecticide genetically engineered into them, making them toxic to certain insects like the bullworm. So along with superweeds that have become resistant to traditional herbicides, we now have superbugs that are mutating to become resistant to insecticides. The cycle is predictable. In order to maintain control of the insect infestations, more insecticide is needed. And then, of course, more powerful and toxic ones must be used. In fact, a recent study on the bee colony collapses and major declines in the monarch butterfly population has been traced back to the insecticides associated with genetically modified crops. We've come full circle here. Farmers are now in the position of applying not only more chemicals, but more toxic ones in order to do the job that GM technology was initially designed and promised to do. Well, so far in this show, I've been focusing mainly on GM cash crops like corn, soy, and cotton. But there are other GM crops that biotech companies will soon be capitalizing on as well, namely genetically modified trees. 
As a matter of fact, the USDA is on the brink of approving GM eucalyptus trees right now. And if these tree crops are approved, biotech companies will be moving forward with plans to commercialize them throughout the southern United States. Eucalyptus trees are actually considered to be an invasive species in many parts of the world and are known for their fast-growing weed-like characteristics, but they only tend to thrive in warmer climates. So now, biotech companies partnering with Monsanto have developed a GM version that can not only withstand colder climates, but will grow even faster, up to 25 feet per year, due to the addition of a weed gene. This is all intended to expand potential growing environments to produce larger crops. The idea is to use these trees as biofuel and also as a renewable energy source for power generation. But there are many potentially adverse effects to this. Should we be surprised? First off, it will set a dangerous precedent and likely lead to the legalization of GE versions of native forest trees like poplar, pine, oak, and others. And we simply don't know the long-term effects to the environment. For example, trees have a much greater range in their pollination, so the chances of cross-contamination of natural growth trees are much higher and harder to control. Once contamination has occurred, there is no calling it back. There are scientists who say that this would have a potentially devastating impact on tree diversity and cause disruption in many important ecosystems that depend on this diversity. Speaking specifically about eucalyptus, they tend to use a lot of water as well, so it's expected that groundwater supplies near tree farms will be impacted to a point of upsetting the balance of ecosystems. Also, since billions of bees are involved in the pollination process of trees, how will they be affected? There has already been a drastic reduction in bee populations due to genetically modified food crops, so it is now thought that since GM trees will have the same pesticide technology programmed into their makeup, the bees will now be exposed to an even broader array of harmful toxins, potentially amplifying the problem of collapsing bee populations. I keep coming back to the bees, but it is really so critical. Think about what will happen to fruit and nut trees or the multitude of other food sources that rely on these vital pollinators. What will happen to our food supply as a result? As I've mentioned before, Monsanto now owns Biologics, the premier bee research firm in the world who are now working on genetically modifying the bees to conform to their GMO crops. This is definitely not a wise thing to do for multiple reasons, and we'll be talking more about that in shows to come. Well, speaking of engineering honeybees, how about the GM salmon everyone's been talking about lately? If the FDA approves this, it will be the first genetically modified animal allowed into the U.S. food supply. And by current guidelines, like all GM products in this country, it will not require any labeling. Consumers' choice has been taken away because the corporations that make profit on these things have determined for us that there's nothing to worry about. What we don't know won't hurt us. Allowing genetically modified salmon into our food supply will set a precedent, folks, and let me make a distinction here. So far, the majority of livestock feed comes from GMO crops and goes to feed a majority of our beef, pork, and poultry. So GM feed has been ingested by animals for years now, which has caused many problems that I don't have time to cover in this show. But now we're talking about directly altering the form and expression of an animal. That is something different. The GM salmon is an Atlantic salmon that has two added genes, one from the Pacific salmon to make it grow faster, and another from an eel that makes it grow throughout the year. A GM salmon actually grows in half the time that it takes for a native fish to reach maturity, 18 months instead of three years. 
The idea is to get fish to market much more quickly and in greater quantities. But at what cost to human health? We keep hearing that in order to feed the world's growing populations, we need to embrace genetic engineering as a way to meet consumer demand. Well, that's a very nice-sounding mission. But what good is it if it just goes to harm our health in the long run? Actually, there is still improvement that could be made through standard food production practices. We can still meet the existing consumer demand, but biotech companies stand to lose too much profit if we do. Just like switching to alternative energy sources would cut into the profits of huge oil corporations, which, by the way, is why we don't see many electric cars on the roads, even though that technology has existed for years. And now on to another new development in the biotech world, which is about owning human genes. You've heard me talk a lot about that. But giving corporations the right to hold patents on gene sequences in the human genome. Biotech company Myriad Genetics was actually awarded patents in the 1990s on two isolated human genes called BRCA1 and BRCA2, which are related to breast and ovarian cancer. But because of these patents, Myriad is the only place for women to go for testing and they set the price tag at over $3,000 for a single test. They have also prevented cancer research from taking place on these genes through the years, which has stirred up a lot of contention as well. Now, very recently, the Supreme Court heard arguments on the legality of holding patents like this, that it not only creates monopoly situations for gouging patients, but stands in the way of further research on genes that might lead to breakthrough cures. But the bigger issue is the right to patent a piece of genetic code in the first place. Imagine the ramifications of biotech companies racing to create personalized tests and treatments tailored to a person's genetic makeup. As the biotech industry continues to thrive and market new products, new questions are arising, coming to the surface which all tie back to, is it anyone's right to own life like it is a piece of property? The Supreme Court is certainly busy with biotech decisions these days. Before this year is complete, they will have ruled on two pivotal cases, the right for biotech seed companies to own second- and third-generation crops and whether or not human genes should be patentable. One issue that's currently hinging on the Supreme Court decisions is the likelihood of biotech corporations implementing Terminator technology. I talked about this recently, but it's worth mentioning again because it may have impacts on us sooner than we think. As a quick refresher, Terminator technology refers to plants that have been genetically modified to render seeds sterile at harvest time, thus preventing farmers from saving any seed to plant the following season. It's also called Genetic Use Restriction Technology, or GERT. Typically, Terminator seeds are programmed to become sterile after the first crop. However, biotech companies have recently developed a way to activate the seed again if an external activator chemical is applied. The implications of this are that if GERT is commercialized, corporations will likely integrate sterility genes into all of their seeds and force farmers to purchase their activator chemical if they want to grow more crops. It is the ultimate control mechanism. If the Supreme Court rules in favor of the farmer in Monsanto versus Bowman, it is speculated that seed corporations like Monsanto will implement the Terminator technology to ensure profits. At present, the biotech world is growing out of control and on so many fronts. Upcoming decisions of the Supreme Court on some of the most recent key cases in the field will determine which road we will ultimately find ourselves on, which is unsettling considering the political climate of favoring corporate business to the needs of the people. 
Biotech is advancing at an accelerated pace, so much so that it seems we're making hurried decisions that will be impossible to reverse if they go wrong. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments, and to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. So I'll start with Tammy. Tammy Rowe writes into the show and says, Hi there, Anna. I really like the show. I've got a question for you that's been on my mind that you may think is a little silly. I love popcorn, always have, but now with hearing about corn being mostly GMO, does that mean one of my favorite snacks from childhood really is off-limits? If I don't want to eat GMOs, please let me know about this. Well, hi, Tammy. Thanks so much for writing in. Uh, I'm glad that you're liking the show. Well, here's a short answer for you. You're in luck. Popcorn generally comes from a different seed than the GMO corn variety. So it is not a GMO product. I repeat, it is not a GMO product. So enjoy it. Thanks for writing in. And up next, we have Brian. Brian Kruger writes in and says, Hi, I was wondering if GMO have more chemicals on them than regular crops. Thanks. Well, hi, Brian. Thanks for your question, and it's a good one. Uh, you know, ironically, GM crops were modified in the first place to lessen the amount of pesticides used. That was the biggest selling point for biotech seed companies like Monsanto, uh, and this is something I talk about quite often. But mutations in weeds and bugs have made them more resilient in recent years to the point that GM crops are indeed doused in more chemicals than standard crops. So much more, uh, you know, seed companies are now looking at, at more toxic chemicals to use, as, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Standard crops are still sprayed with chemicals, just not as much. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that many GM crops have insecticide programmed to be produced uh, from within the plant cells themselves, and this is in combination with other new topical chemicals. Uh, you know, that just makes everything worse. A, a toxic cocktail for sure. So I hope that answers your question. Thanks so much for writing into the show. And up next, Connie writes in and says, Do you happen to know if GMOs can be harmful if breathed in? Well, hi, Connie. Thanks for your question. Uh, well, the fact is pollen from GM plants becomes airborne and can be breathed in during the pollination season. However, I haven't heard of direct absorption of GM material through the lungs. And this doesn't mean it's not possible, though, but there's no documentation that I'm aware of. Uh, that's a really great question, though, and one that we should keep in mind. And it should also remind us uh, of the other dangerous airborne pathogens that come along with pesticide spray and mold spores uh, from, from plants. Thanks so much for writing in. And up next, Lee Regal writes in and says, Hi, I've been listening on your show about talk concerning the environment and ecosystems and the impacts on these by GMO crops. My question is, how GMOs affect biodiversity? It seems they would have a big impact. Well, hi, Lee. Thanks so much for writing into the show and for your really great question. GMO crops definitely have an impact on biodiversity, mainly because of their dominant genes. Uh, when pollination occurs, cross-contamination is inevitable, uh, despite what many proponents in the biotech industry might claim. And this contamination allows the GM crop DNA to overtake, if you will, similar natural crops so then, in effect, natural varieties are then replaced with a GM version. And this works to decrease biodiversity in all aspects. And it's very, very scary and dangerous in the potential to upset delicate uh, or very fragile uh, you know, ecosystem. And this may not occur overnight, but in the long term, this presents a very real and significant problem, one that I don't believe you know, we'll be able to work ourselves out of. Uh, thanks again for writing into the show. 
And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. Stay tuned for an upcoming show where we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Follow the Money. This program will focus on the connections between Monsanto and other powerful corporations and organizations, such as the Rockefeller and Ford Foundations. What role have these played in the development and control of the biotech industry over food supplies and world markets? And how much influence do they actually wield? Is Monsanto acting alone or with others in its quest for domination of the world's food supply? If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. <laughs> 